If you're a sexually active person, or even if you're not right now, you no doubt have questions about your sexual health. Like, should I be tested for STIs? Which ones? Or what are my options for preventing pregnancy? You might have some questions about your libido and why it's so low or high and whether that's normal. Or why sex is so painful or getting an erection is difficult. It's not always easy to bring these topics up, and it may not be clear exactly what questions you should be asking about your sexual health. So how do you overcome your own hesitancy or embarrassment and start that conversation with your healthcare provider? That's what we're talking about today on this episode of ASHA's Sex Plus Health podcast. To help us out with this conversation, we have two sexual health experts, Martha Kempner and Logan Levkoff. Martha has over 20 years of experience as a sexuality educator and writer. She writes about sexual behavior, contraceptive, STDs, and is the co-author with Pepper Schwartz of the book, 50 Great Myths of Human Sexuality. She also writes the weekly newsletter, Sex on Wednesday, a must-read for sex educators, parents trying to raise sexually healthy kids, and anyone who just wants to know what's going on in sex. You can subscribe to Sex on Wednesday on Substack. Logan is an ASEX certified sex educator and internationally recognized expert on sexuality and relationships who has appeared on the Today Show, The Rachel Ray Show, Oprah, and CNN. She was also the sexuality expert for the first three seasons of the A&E series, Married at First Sight. Logan is the author of several books, including Got Teens, The Dr. Mom's Guide to Sexuality, Social Media, and Other Adolescent Realities with Dr. Jennifer Wilder, and How to Get Your Wife to Have Sex with You. We are thrilled to have Logan and Martha with us today to help us learn how to get over our embarrassment and start the conversation with our healthcare providers and make sure we are getting the care that we need. So welcome, Logan and Martha. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, I think to get us started, maybe we can talk about why it's so difficult to bring up questions about sexual health with our providers. Thank you for having us. Um, why is it so difficult? I and mean, why is it so difficult talking about sex in general? And it's that we we don't have we don't have a lot of great role models showing us how to engage in these conversations first first and foremost. Um, I actually want to just start with a story just to, to show you that even in our you know sexuality professional world, we are surrounded by friends and family members who don't always do the things that we tell them to do when it comes to talking to, to doctors and providers. So years ago, and the contraceptive method might give the, the time frame away, um, I was having lunch with a friend of mine who uh, had just had her annual gynecological appointment. And we were sitting at lunch and she said to me, Logan, I need, I need to talk to you about something. My diaphragm really bothers me while I'm having sex. And I, I just, <laughs> I looked at her and said, wait, I'm sorry, you're asking me this? Did you not just come from the doctor who was the person who fit you for that diaphragm? And she looked at me deadpan and said, I don't talk to my doctor about my sex life. And it occurred to me, and it occurs to me over and over again as these things keep happening, that we separate parts of our body from our sexual health or sexuality. Um, and that's a real problem, right? Because I, I, I mean, I can give my friends suggestions about her diaphragm, but I am not the person who's going to solve that problem. So I think it's it's it just puts an exclamation point on on even when it has to do with parts of our body that are involved in sex of any and all kinds, we still have lots of challenges. 
I think it's also, it's funny because I think it combines two different things. We don't do a great job talking about sex ever, right? That's one of the taboo subjects that we've kind of been trained to just not talk about in public. And I think we're all maybe a little afraid of doctors <laughs> or, <clears throat> I mean, I know that I go to the doctor kind of thinking of it like a, like a test that I have to pass. Like I'm waiting for them to tell me I did something wrong this year or, you know, um, but but I think we also don't know how to talk. It's especially hard to talk to someone who we think of in a more formal light. And so that's where I think it's this crossover between being uncomfortable saying words like penis and vulva and itch and ouch and, you know, and my diaphragm hurts. Um, and you're right, that does give it away because I don't think anyone uses a diaphragm anymore. Um, but so I think it's all of those things together. Um, but at, but also with this idea of we're a little intimidated by doctors to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you raise a really good point. We, we can be intimidated. And I think also we, we, and maybe I'm just talking about myself. Like I want, I want my doctors to think I'm doing well, right. We go in there wanting, like wanting to be praised in some way. And so if we have a sexual health concern, oftentimes we're afraid to bring that up because we're afraid of some kind of judgment Absolutely. from that medical provider. And and look, I think that you and I clearly agree on this, but in no way, shape or form should our medical providers be judgy when it comes to how we choose to express ourselves, how we choose to or don't choose to share our bodies with another person. Um, you know, that's, they are. that's a Sometimes they are. <laughs> And, and I think that that's the other thing that we need to talk about today is how do you talk to your doctor about, about these issues is one question. And then the next question is, what do you do if you don't like your doctor's response? Because I think one of the things that we do forget about doctors is that we're their customers, yeah. right? Like, yes, they know a lot of stuff. They know more than us. They, they know more than you about fitting a diaphragm. But at the same time, we actually are, are hiring them to do something for us. And if they are judgy or if they make us feel extra uncomfortable when we kind of build up the courage to do this, then we can, we are completely within our right. And, and it's the right thing to do to find another doctor who, you know, you would feel better about saying, Hey, by the way, something's off. Yeah, very much so. I, I, I think that one of the other, the other challenges in talking to medical providers is that we, we often think that our sexual concerns, particularly as they relate to pleasure and function, we actually think that they're not connected to this big word health, right? We think it's it's something that's an other or a taboo or not a legitimate concern when actually it's a, I mean, pleasure and function are huge parts, important parts of our overall sexual health and well-being, and certainly a huge part of our overall health. And so as patients, as consumers, as human beings, we need to first and foremost recognize that we are entitled to sexual function and pleasure and that that is a part of health, right? We have the right to speak up about those things and to have our concerns or questions answered. Right. And that's the other thing is to really have them um, listening, right? To, to make sure that your doctor is listening to your concerns. Um do you have do you have an idea, Logan, for us on the like the first question you would ask? I think that there's so so many there's so many questions. Sorry, I'm I ah <laughs> I just saw that. Um, <laughs> so the questions to ask a a, a doctor. Um, well, here's here's the interesting 
piece of this is that technically, right, our doctors should be opening the door for us, which I think is why it's a hard question to answer. I mean, ideally, in a perfect world, our doctors say to us, what would you like me to know about your sexuality or your sexual life so that I can best take care of you? I mean, that's Or how satisfied are you? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a doctor do that? Because I have uh, not. I mean, I have to say, I, I actually think now I do. Now I have have some really good providers, but but part of that might also be because I've, I mean, I've made what I do for a living. I've had these conversations so openly that that I think they know that's what I expect from them. Like that's an important thing. I mean, look, I am definitely the patient who recognizes when there is a new brand of speculum sitting on the counter. Right, that is me, and I am not clearly not the average person, um, which is probably a good thing for for a lot of providers uh, that I'm not the that I'm not the norm. But I mean, they 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 should be opening the door. But one thing I would say is that it's not so much the the questions we have, but in how to comfortably ask them. So, you know, I don't expect that everyone is going to be comfortable saying, um, you know, I used to have more of a drive or libido or whatever word you want to call it. And and now now I'm feeling a little off. Like I, I get that that's not a comfortable thing. So oftentimes I will recommend to people that write a list of all of your questions down. Anything, anything pertaining to something that feels off, feels good, feels different, smells unusual, wh- whatever that that change is. Write it all down and make sure you take that piece of paper into your appointment with you. And even if you never look up from the page, you know, say, I have some questions I've thought about in advance. May I ask them? And then read through them, right? Um, And hopefully your provider responds in a way that is thoughtful and kind and recognizes that, you know, it's not enough to just say, okay, everything looks okay. I'm moving on to the next person. Do you have any questions that you think like come to mind immediately? I th- you know, I think the questions that we ask are very um, different at different stages of life, right? Yeah. So I think that there were um, there were definitely a time in my life where I had some questions about STIs. I I know from the profession, you know, from the professional work that I've always done that STI testing isn't actually standard, right? You go in even even when you're going into a gynecological visit, um, you go in and they don't necessarily test you for everything. You have to ask. So um, that those were questions I had maybe, or, you know, maybe earlier in my life when people were using diaphragm still. Um, I think, but I, you know, those questions changed. There was definitely a period in my life when I had questions about um, getting pregnant and why was it taking so long. Um, and then there's definitely questions about um, I've I've certainly had some symptoms over the years that are a little bit like wait what's going on. Um, so I think it really depends, and um, it, it, I think maybe it can be so so simple as saying you know I really would like to talk to you about my sex life for a minute, um, and maybe hopefully with that prompting the the healthcare provider will then say oh that's you know that's a really important topic what what can I help you with. Um, and let them shoulder some of the the um, awkwardness of this conversation. But I think the other thing to remember is you can be casual about it. You don't, you know, you can be like, you know, I have um, I have a symptom that I want to talk to you about and open the conversation that way. Or I'm really wondering about this. Um, 
and just, I think whenever you read the guides to, you know, how to talk to your doctor about sex, the questions feel so awkward on paper, like nobody talks like that. But so you can just, you know, try to make it more of a dialogue. Yeah. Or, or yeah, I'm a big, I'm a big believer in owning that awkwardness and, and to even say to your doctor, I have this thing, this issue I want to bring up to you. And I'm a little, uh, it feels really yeah. awkward, but I, but but I want to tell you. Um, and at least that's also the cue to your provider to be thoughtful and sensitive because this isn't something that you're comfortable disclosing. Um, but, I, but awkwardness is okay. Like, I, I think that we've become a culture, a world that's really afraid of being awkward because awkward seems to have a negative connotation where to me, awkwardness and getting past awkwardness signifies, you know, resilience and strength and, and, Cautious risk taking, cautious risk taking. And you're wearing a paper gown. So everything's going to be awkward when you're wearing a paper gown. So maybe just, you know, embrace it, as you said. Right. But I would, but I would say this, you know, one of, one of the things that I do when I, when I've, I've taught the medical community is, you know, these are conversations. If you want to take sexual histories, if you want to have questions about someone's sexual life, they should be dressed. Right. Yes. I mean, like, remember the, pa the, the power, the Absolutely. perceived power balance and, you know, make sure that your patient does not yes. feel extra vulnerable. Especially the first time you meet a physician. The first time you meet a physician, you should absolutely, or any kind of healthcare provider, you should absolutely have your clothes on and um, during the introductions. And I've actually, you know, fired or, or just not gone back to physicians who, who don't have that practice because I just don't think it's, um, it really does. It starts you off on very unequal footing. Martha, going back uh, just a little bit to uh, talking to your provider about STI testing, how would someone who's going to have that conversation for the first time know that it is the right time to have that conversation or what exactly they should be asking for? So it's not your job to know what exactly you should be asking for. That's that's the big thing. If you are sexually active um, and you think you have any risk of STIs, there is absolutely no reason not to get tested. So when you go to the when you go to your provider, you just you say, "I'm think I think I should be tested for STIs," and their job is to figure out what STIs you should be tested for. They should ask you questions about your sexual history at that point, and they should figure it out. But don't go in. And I think this is a mistake we make in a lot of different ways. I know I do this. Don't go in thinking you have to tell them the problem and the solution, right? Your your job is to tell them what's going on. Their job is to tell you what to do next. I've also heard some stories, particularly in working with teenagers, <clears throat> that that I've had some students who have gone into to offices saying, "I would like to be tested for sexually transmitted infections," and their response, the medical response, has been, "Oh, you don't need to." <laughs> I mean that. That to me is also a sign that perhaps you you want a new provider, right? I mean, Absolutely. this is we we want people of any and all ages to be responsible to take their sexual health into their own hands and to say, you know, I want to make smart decisions. And it's really not just about like what I've done or what my partners have done in the past. It's about me right this moment moving forward. And I know how to make smart decisions and I'm committed to doing that. So you know, I, I would also say never let someone talk you out of right. something as important as a test because they don't think it's important for you. You you can trust your gut. 
definitely. And I think the other thing that's that happens with teenagers, as I said, it's kind of a stage of life thing. But I think sometimes teenagers and young adults aren't taken seriously for a, a, a lot of different reasons. And um, I, you know, I think we as parents in particular have to train them to advocate for themselves. <clears throat> um, and I think, you know, some doctors are more comfortable with teenagers being sexually active than others. But again, it's not their place to judge. This is not what they're there for. They're there to provide the tests, to provide the contraceptions, uh, to help you help teenagers decide what methods are right for them. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I think I would hope that any, you know, I have teenagers now, I would hope that anyone that my kids went to see wasn't judgy um, or, but unfortunately sometimes it is so one of the things that we should do as parents is help them advocate for themselves or be open and honest and go with them you know <laughs> go with them and then leave the room absolutely go with them absolutely. and then leave the room and and by the way by for anyone who's going to be listening to this i think that's particularly if you typically go into a room with someone else it is a really good practice early on particularly on that pubescent cusp to start saying, I am going to leave the room for a little bit so that if you have any questions about the experiences you're having or what might be coming you know, next for you, you can develop that relationship with your provider. Um, and I would encourage medical providers to do the same thing. Like, you know, at some point, you know, ask, ask me to leave please <laughs> let, let, you know, let this relationship start to develop. Not every young person wants to be examined in front of the grown up in their life and certainly doesn't want to share certain things or questions. And, and they deserve that, that respect and, and privacy as well. Yes. I'm kicked out of the room all the time. I'm it's not allowed thing. in. Absolutely. It's weird as a parent, but it's absolutely the right thing. Yes. Very, very much so. Um, so why do you think that these conversations aren't being brought up by providers a lot of the times? So that's a, the, the, the why question behind why providers aren't talking about these things um, has been this long debate for, for really, for, for, well, for as long as I've been in this field. And there has been study after study, you know, 2012, 2016, 2018, 2021, all, all showing how patients really want their doctors to bring up issues of sexual health and sexuality with them. Right. And there seems to be a barrier there. Some of that is institutional, which is that sex ed in. Well, yes, certainly for the, the 10 minute, you know, everything I you need to learn about someone's health and medical history in right. 10 minutes. But institutional in a sense that many most med schools don't give the sexuality education and training that providers are going to need. And that's everything from conversations about gender and identity and expression to you know language not just around gender but sexual orientation to things like navigating you know the health and boundaries and and discussions of consent of people who not just everyone but people who also are part of the kink community there are so many things that doctors really need to know and understand in order to best connect and gather information from patients and they don't always get it um there may be a few electives but there are not a lot of them. And that means that it's it becomes a doctor's responsibility to get continuing education. And even when they want to, 
it may not be easy to do so. So I think that's a, a major, a major barrier, time and also lack of education in this space. And I, I think, you know, just you, we can go back to our very first question. Why is it hard for us to talk about it? Because sex is a taboo, taboo topic. Why is it hard for a doctor to talk about it? Because sex is a taboo topic. Doctors are human and you don't, you know, walk into your, a meeting with your accountant and say, so, you know, do you have any issues with your sex life? And I think that people, I think it's hard. And as Logan said, because it's hard, they need specific training to do it and they're not getting that training. And so, you know, it's easy. I think between that and the pressure that they have to see patients quickly, it's an easy thing to forget. <clears throat> it's an easy thing to gloss over and to just, you know, hope it kind of, it doesn't come up this time. And obviously it's so important. Um, it has so many different ways in which it can affect our health that, um, we hope that medical schools will start really talking about it for one thing and that doctors will start. I mean, I think again, in this two way relationship, the more we talk to doctors about it, the more they're going to start talking to us, the more doctors talk to us, we really have to like get kind of break down those barriers at both levels. Yeah. And, and, and look, people make lots of assumptions. And I think the, 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 one of the biggest ones that comes to my, comes to mind immediately is even the assumptions people make about disability and chronic illness and sexual pleasure and function and, and people's sexual lives. Right. Um, though, even if you're working with people who have disabilities or chronic illness, I mean, the, it is important to talk about sex and sexuality and and pleasure still. But we we do this thing where we think that if someone has a particular issue, then that's their only issue, and then sex must be not not important to them. And and look, we all have a sexuality from birth to death. We express and explore differently throughout our lives, but it is not a switch that just gets turned on or off if other things are going on in our lives. And it's an important reminder for for everyone that. You know, if you feel like your medical needs, your intellectual medical needs are not being met, you're not getting the services you need, you know, and, and you bring it up and they're still not being met, then then Martha is absolutely right that, you know, we are still consumers and we have the opportunity and ability to go elsewhere, to, to find a provider that respects us and meets us where where we are. So a question that we get asked a lot is, what does it mean to be sexually healthy? What does it mean to start advocating for these things? I know that's a loaded question, but if you can just kind of kick us off a little well, bit. I think we both spent a lot of time writing some definitions of sexual health. Um, I think what's really important to remember is, and this is true of all health, it's not just about not being sick, right? Mm -hmm. So that's that's the biggest one is it's about, and and you have to, I would say kind of come up with it for yourself, but it's about feeling good sexually, being able to experience pleasure if you want it, not experiencing pain when you're having sex. Cause I think a lot of people, um, especially people with vaginas are used to the idea that sex might hurt, that any penetrative sex might hurt and that's okay. And we just kind of have to put up with it. And that's not true. Sex really isn't supposed to hurt. Um, so we should really, you know, if that's, if that's happening, that's something to get looked at, but more than that, you should have, um, you should be able to have desire. You should be able to have pleasure. Um, it's not just that nothing itches or burns right now. It's that everything is kind of going along swimmingly. And if it's not, 
that's when you want to bring it up. Yeah. And I, I see sexual health as, as you know, something that can be specific to the, to the individual, right? The things we do to take care of our bodies, our minds, um, you know, the, the information we have access to, all of that is, is personal sexual health. But then there are all these other big issues that impact our ability to be sexually healthy, right? Which is the quality and the dynamics of the partnerships we might be in you know, cultural messaging around sex and sexuality, um, you know, even politics, right? Like at the end of the day, regardless of whether or not you have any say in it, policies get made that impact people's ability to be sexually healthy. So all of those things together make defining sexual health really complicated because it's, it's, it's not just about preventing the negative, right? It's about how do we create a holistic, um, experience where someone individually, personally, within relationships and in the world that they live in feels empowered in their, you know, to be who they are. Yeah, I think you bring up a really good point about um, within your relationships. I think so often people start talking about, you know, advocating for their own sexual health, figuring out how to navigate that with a new partner, you know, old partner, whatever it might be. I think that's a, a piece that people also struggle to start those conversations as well. Very much so. I mean, and and not, not just, you know, have you ever, you know, have you ever had an STI? Have you ever been tested? Those conversations. So I'm really, I'm hoping, I'm hoping that in a post-COVID world, we've developed the scripts, right, for testing and risk behaviors, you know, whether masks like condoms or, you know, or just when's the last time point. you were tested, right? I think that I'm, I'm hoping if there's a silver lining to any of this, it's that we've gotten very used to using that language about testing and risk and that we will start to be able to to you know put those conversations into sexual health conversations and not just speak without judgment but also listen to someone's answer without judgment i think we've gotten some good practice in the last two years so maybe maybe something something good will come from that and i, I think you were actually starting at forgive me if I'm putting words in your mouth, but I think you're actually starting to say it's not, I agree with you that we've gotten some good practice and I hope it, it kicks in, but I also think it's going beyond that, right? It's not, it's, it's more about what, um, you know, what feels good? What do you like? Um, and, and all of this has to do with your, with sexual health. Cause you guys, when you're in a relationship, as Logan says, I love her phrase, when you're sharing your body with someone, um, their health and your health are, are together in a way, especially, you know, both emotional and physical. Yeah, very, very much so. And and even when we talk about, you know, how to have healthy relationships, even recognizing that the word relationship means different things to different people, right? And, and I, I think that part of being a sexually healthy person in quotation marks means, you know, talking about what type of relationship that you want, right? And for some people that's monogamous, for some people that's not monogamous, whatever it means to you, um, you know, people have to feel like they're entitled to speak up for what they want and recognize that it might not work for the other person and that's okay, right? I mean, <laughs> particularly working with teenagers, I've spent a lot of time on this word rejection. <laughs> like rejection is a human experience that we have all of the time, <laughs> right? We are told no. 
I would imagine most people are told no at least once a day, let alone like thousands of times throughout their lives. But that's okay. And that's part of becoming a human being is to to navigate when things don't always go our way. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So kind of going back to the provider a little bit. So if you've identified that your provider isn't asking the right questions or they're not answering the questions you need, how would you recommend someone go about finding a new provider? Well, can I can I say something here because I want to be yeah. not judgy? Um, I've been telling people that I'm going to fire my gynecologist for like five years now. She was great when I was pregnant and having babies, but basically at this point, we're down to the fact that she spends about I'd say she spends 12 minutes with them and eight of them is telling me I need to lose weight. And so <clears throat> very judgy. I don't think she's asked one question about my sex life. Um, I don't think she's asked one question really even about, you know, my mental health, even like throughout the pandemic where I feel like everyone is starting questions with, how are you? Like, really, how are you doing? I don't think we've had any of that. And I haven't done anything about it. And, and I am very lucky to have, you know, pretty high quality health insurance that gives me access to a lot of providers. So before I just want to make, I just want to put it out there because I want to make sure people don't feel like we're being judgy about the fact that you might not have, you know, walked away from a provider who wasn't giving you what they want. It's a pain in the butt. It's really difficult. You have to, you have to find someone new to connect and you have to, you know, start over, hopefully with your clothes on. Um, I think, you know, it, the access issue is very different for everyone. And it's very, unfortunately in this country, it is very dependent on what kind of healthcare you have. I think the most, the, the way to start is probably to start looking at a list of, providers who take your health insurance or clinics that take your health insurance or Planned Parenthood affiliates in your area that will offer services on a sliding fee. Um, but once you do that, I find that the best way to do it is recommendations from friends. Um, so, and if, you know, so, hey, these are the three, put out a message. You could do this on social media. You could text a few of your friends, local, your neighbors. Um, I, there's about four Facebook groups in my town where people are constantly posting these messages. These are the three doctors on my, you know, who accept my insurance. Does anyone have a personal experience with them? I've even very specifically had people say, hey, I'm tired of being weight shamed by my gynecologist. Does anyone have a gynecologist who doesn't talk about your weight? And I've taken notes on those threads and still haven't actually changed my gynecologist. Well, um, well, if that doctor is listening now, I think they might get the message. Just Maybe. And, and I mean, that that is one of the other things that, you know, Logan was talking about ed education. There isn't a great feedback loop, right? There isn't a great, if, if I change gynecologists, unless she's listening to this conversation, it's very likely that she'll never have any idea why and, and therefore won't have changed her practice at all. Um, and so I think that's one of the things, um, uh, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, taking it to the next level and saying that if your doctor doesn't, um, it doesn't do what you want, you should absolutely, you know, write a review right there on the spot. Um, that's a lot of work. But what I am saying is just, I think that in terms of the system, it's a little bit broken for improvement. Yeah. 
Sure. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I would, I would agree with all of those things. And I would also say that, um, you know, for me, Google is sometimes my friend. And so, you know, I look at names when I get them and I'll do a little search and see like, what, what, if these, if any provider has been quoted in the media in, in what subject, what is their area of expertise? You know, what are they saying? Does their, do their values when they speak the language that they use, does it feel like it's aligned with, with my values. That's that's the one thing I think that we forget is that having the internet, you know, and I'm by no means suggesting it's always good, but it does give us opportunities to do some research that maybe we wouldn't have been able to do 20, 30 years ago unless you were reading a magazine like Prevention and saw someone's <laughs> name pop up, exactly. right? Like it's different. It's different now. So so we should use all of the tools available to us. So if you're getting names, start you know, start looking them up. Um, that That is absolutely, I mean, that's more than you're right. That's a, a great, it's a great tool we have. So we might as well use it. And, and, and you'll see very quickly, like if someone's expertise is in something that's relating to you personally, then that might be someone, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to reach out to that person. If they, you know, they fit my, you know, what I need from a doctor financially or within insurance or whatever it might be. Um, you know, this is an opportunity. This is someone you might want to check in with. You know, that's actually a really good point. I had to find an endocrinologist recently and um, I was looking. So I, the, the medical group that I go to is like one of those big practices that has tons of tons of specialties all under, you know, one roof. So I was looking through the names and one of the women um, and I admit, I look at pictures. I know that that's totally never judge a book by its cover, but she was had a very friendly face. And she said in her profile that she specialized in um, gender affirmation treatment for trans kids. And I was like, okay, we have the same values. This is fabulous. Um, and I, um, I absolutely loved her. Yeah. I had a great, I had a great first meeting with her. So I think, you know, just looking at little things, little, little triggers like that, little clues that you might like them and, and opinions of people who've seen them. And there's also lots of pages for reviews um, online. I think one thing I would say about reviews is that you <laughs> like with, rest, with restaurants, you only get the people who loved them and the people who hated them. So you got to take it a little bit with a grain of salt. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so what other advice would you have for someone who's listening to this podcast who's starting to ask some of these questions? I, I think that that I don't want that, well, that's such a big question. There's so there's so many things I would want people to know. Um I think the the first thing is there is no one correct way to be a sexual being right? There, there is not one model, one path that someone needs to be on personally or interpersonally in order to be considered like a good sexual being. So that, that's the first piece of it. And, and, and feeling, you know, part of the, part of feeling sexually healthy starts with, with feeling good about who you are and knowing that whoever you are and however you identify and express yourself, um, you have the right to be treated with respect and valued and, and have your concerns and questions answered by someone that you are perfect. You know, it, it, 
that so, sounds so cheesy. I'm not going to say what I was thinking, but like you have just the way you are. Yeah, I mean so, something like that. But but <laughs> that that you deserve to be connected to to professionals who see you for who you are and who you want to be, and uh, you know, and and help you with that, whatever that means to you. So I would very add. Cheesy. I'm sorry. <laughs> I would add that going to the doctor is vulnerable. Um, it's just, it's, it's vulnerable for a lot of reasons, right? One is you're in a situation very purposefully where someone knows more than you, which always makes us feel a little vulnerable. Uh, two is the part of being about being naked and all of your, you know, all of your body kind of out there. Um, there's for, you know, as I brought up before, there's issues of weight and self-esteem that go into this, both being naked, being weighed. And then there's issues of like, you know, as Logan said, I want them to tell me that I did a good job, right? I want them to tell me, I want them to tell me that I was a good girl this year. And so I think um, we, we've definitely all been kind of raised with that feeling. So it's very vulnerable to be there. I'm going back to the paper gown because it just makes so much noise when you're sitting there. It's such a strange concept. Um, and so allow yourself to be vulnerable, I guess, is what I'm what, where I'm going with this advice, which is just acknowledge that, but but say this is one of those situations where it is okay to be vulnerable because if I'm not, if I try to if I try to know everything or if I try to hide things from my doctor, um, I'm not going to get the care that I need. So go in with the questions. You don't have to go in with the answers, um, but go in with the questions and the honesty. And then, you know, then we'll talk later about whether they whether they handled the questions and the honesty correctly or um, with respect. But in the but, you know, you got to take that vulnerability leap to have the right relationship. And I, I would I would say that if any, you know, if any providers in any category happen to be listening, I think that, you know, this idea of having a sexual history doesn't need to be everything all at once, right? It, and it's something that should be a, a, a model that starts when we're young, when we get a sense of, you know, what, tell me your name, tell me who you are, tell me what pronouns you use, you know, let, let's have this be an ongoing relationship so that I can best serve you. And it's not that I ask these questions of just the people who I think lo look like they fit a certain mold. I ask these of everyone, right? So you're not, I'm not asking you to stand out differently from someone else. I, you know, I own with these are questions that are important for everyone. So I, I think that that's a, a first piece of it. I think recognizing that you might be surprised by your patients, like don't make any assumptions about them, about whether it's identity or sexual orientation or relationship status or disability or pleasure, like be open-minded to hear from them. Um, and I think also recognize that you might not have all of the information as a provider. So, you know, develop some resource lists, partner with other people in the sexual health community so that if you don't have the time to answer everyone's questions, hand them a list of resources, have a website available so that you are still helping them along this journey, even if you're not the one specifically disseminating, you know, the, the particular information. And I would add to to that if we're talking directly to providers, hopefully they are listening, <laughs> educate yourself. I know just as an example that that the pediatrician's office that I took, that I take my children to, 
closed for a whole day to do education around being gender affirming for the for all of the providers and the staff. And I think that's fabulous, right? I think, um, you know, knowing that they're going to be dealing with patients who are questioning their gender or transitioning genders, you know, with young patients and it's okay as a provider, here's vulnerability for a provider. It's okay that you don't know exactly what to say right now, but it is your job to educate yourself and to educate your staff and um, the people who you're working with so that they can then have the right, right words to use the, the right procedures to use with patients. And some of that is so simple, like more than one box or more than two boxes on your check form on your form about gender, right? It's so, it's, pretty easy to make people more comfortable. You just have to take the steps to do it. Great. And one just final question to wrap us up. For someone wanting to learn more, what are some resources that you would recommend? Wanting to learn more about talking to your doctor? I would say about both. Both starting to talk to your doctor, but also someone who's kind of just kind of coming across the idea of sexual health and, and wanting to kind of learn more. That's a good question. It's a big question. So I mean, maybe because I think you know the thing is that it, it depends um, who you are and what you're what you're looking for. I think there's a lot of great information out there on um, you know Planned Parenthood has a great site. Sites even like WebMD and um, very well have good articles. There was a great article on WebMD yesterday about how even female doctors are um take longer to get diagnosed than men because because female because women are often dismissed when they have symptoms and that it even happens to to female doctors so there are things out there on sources like that i think you know the problem is that you got you're going to end up taking the good with the bad there's some articles out there where i you know look at it and i'm like could i rewrite this could could you just you know i wouldn't say that um so so Logan, I don't know if you had any more specific advice, but I do think there is a lot of information out there. Yeah, I, I think it, I mean, there, there's great information depending on what you're looking for and, you know, and, and what stage of life that you're in. I mean, Asha obviously has good information, uh, right. um, you know, and a mate, if you're, if you're with, if you are a young person, younger than in your twenties, you know. Or a parent, or I was going to say there are parents or guardians, um, or or educators even working with young people. Amaze.org has some incredible information run through you know advocates for youth. There, there's there is a lot there is a lot out there. The one thing I would say to anyone who's searching the internet for information, you know, find out you know what is the organization that's putting out this information? Who is the author? Who's writing it? Is there a particular agenda? Like if you, if you search that person's name, would, you know, some horrible things come up, <laughs> like do a little bit of research. And, and that's the problem, right? I mean, we need to, we need to constantly fact check because <laughs> there's a lot out there that is, I mean, let's say, um, maybe not deliberately incorrect but sometimes deliberately incorrect so it, you can find you can find great information but we we are we have to be responsible for doing a little digging as well 
Great. Well, thank you both so much for being with us today. This has been a wonderful and super informative conversation. Um, and thank you to everyone who's listening to this episode of the podcast. Um, for more episodes and other resources, you can be sure to check out www.ashasexualhealth.org. Thanks and have a great day.